Hi friends, welcome to the Gritty and Curious show. I'm your host, Austin Schlesinger, the co-founder of Gritty and Curious, where we are on a mission to give creators the network, knowledge, and opportunities to start their next venture. My guest today is the Gritty and Curious Matt Spatel. Matt is the CEO and co-founder of Delta Trainer. To summarize, Delta Trainer is a personal trainer right on your wrist via Apple Watch. It's super cool. Matt's goal is to change the lives of gym owners and personal trainers all around the world. He's been building companies since his junior year of high school. He went to Carnegie Mellon, where he won a ton of hackathons. And now his goal is to build the future of personal training. Today, we talk about the future of the fitness industry. I love the fitness industry. I love new technology. So when I met Matt, I was like, we definitely need to talk. So in terms of the topics we talk about, we talk about his journey building Delta Trainer. We talk about data mining and different data techniques. We talk about the evolution of tracking to training, the concept of perseverance. Matt has built a lot of things throughout his life. Some went better than others, and he shares his advice on how he persevered throughout the years and kind of kept building things regardless of the fact if they did extremely well or not. And also Matt shares his insight on what it means to be gritty and curious. So definitely hang around and listen for those things for sure. Anyway, it was a very insightful conversation and I'm super excited to share it with you all. So let's get right into it. So where did you first think of the idea for Delta Trainer? Right. So it was actually back during my junior year of college at Carnegie Mellon. I was working a tech internship over the summer doing some robotic stuff. And I happened to be working with one of my childhood best friends named Gabe Madonna. And we were, you know, every day during lunch, we'd always be throwing around these ideas for random startup ideas that we wanted to build. And we were both huge uh, fitness nerds, I would say. And so one day we sort of just had this idea of how about we use wearable devices to track what people are doing in the gym. And the very first goal was just, can we just detect the sets and reps that someone's doing and write them down for you, essentially, just an automatic logger, if you will. Right. Like I've, it's interesting. Like I've, I've thought about this idea in the past and I was like, what would it take to do this on Apple watch in terms of like a, a rep counter. And I know that you guys implemented some sort of rep counting technology. How does that work? So it's, it's essentially, it takes all of the raw inertial data from the smartwatch. So in the, in the Apple watches case, that would be, you know, three axis of accelerometer data, three axes of gyroscope data, and then three axes of like an orientation with respect to gravity. And we take in all of that raw data and essentially we have trained um, several stages of models, both using, you know, traditional signal processing, as well as the gut, the most of the guts of it are more, you know, modern machine learning approaches that are trained to recognize sort of what did those nine dimensions look like when you're doing a set of push-ups, for example, versus a set of sit-ups versus a dumbbell curl, right? And so first it can detect, you know, whether or not you're performing an exercise. And then once we know when you're performing an exercise, we can go in and really get into the nuances of, you know, how many reps did occur? Uh, how difficult was that set? How is the form for that set? How is the pacing for that set? Um, and those are all just sort of these different stages of models that we've built. And over the last, you know, two years, we've sort of built up these stages and tacked them onto each other. So now we can output all these really interesting metrics about what you do. So essentially you're using machine learning or you're, you're measuring somebody doing a certain movement and then testing that over and over and over again. Is that right? Yeah, essentially. And like to give you like a fun example of how these actual models are built is, you know, for example, if, if we, if I wanted to detect whether or not um, you were doing some new crazy exercise that we just invented, um, like a reverse push-up, let's say, um, what we would do is we would go out and record, you know, several thousand examples of different people of different body types and experiences doing a reverse push-up. And then our models would be able to learn what are these characteristics of a reverse push-up that we're looking for. 
And then on top of that, we could even go a level deeper and say like, well, what does a good reverse push-up look like versus a, you know, maybe a reverse push-up where your back is arched or where you're swinging around too much or something like that. And the model can then go and detect those as well. But it's all built around this, you know, classic machine learning premise of you go out and you collect a ton of examples and data of the thing you're trying to analyze. And then you can train these models to then automatically analyze and find those things. So what's that process of collecting thousands of samples of somebody doing a reverse pushup or something? Like how, how are you, how are you like, what's that process? Like, I feel like that'd be super tedious. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is, uh, it started out much more tedious than it is nowadays. Um, because like when, when we first started out, Gabe and I would literally strap these like cheap wearables that we had sort of thrown together and just go into gyms and go into our basements and just do thousands and thousands of reps, which is obviously not ideal because we're doing it all ourselves and it's only from two people. But as we've grown, we have started to, obviously anyone who's using our system is sort of contributing to the improvement of the data set in the future. And so if you were to just, you know, use Delta Trainer as a client, um, whenever you do a set of push-ups, we add that set of push-ups to the collection of all the push-ups we've ever seen. And so that way in the future, the push-up model can be better, right? And so you could imagine that as we get more and more users um, and more and more exercises and more and more frequency of workouts, the amount of data we have grows uh, exponentially with that. I find all this stuff really interesting because I'm really into fitness and I also awesome. just graduated from Rutgers with a degree in business analytics. So we took, I took like a data mining course and we, it was just scraping the, like the top level of building statistical models. And mm -hmm. do you play FIFA? Are you a FIFA guy? Yeah, I, I've, I wouldn't say I'm like a, a diehard FIFA guy, but I, I've played it a fair amount, yeah. So I was really, I'm not that into it anymore, but I was really into Ultimate Team for a while. Mm -hmm. So our project, our data mining project was build a statistical model using any data set that you want. So I went on Kaggle with my the team I was working with, scraped the statistics for like FIFA 20. 17 or 2018 of like all of the attributes for all of the ultimate team players and built a a model that predicted their value based on their attributes and then compared that to their value in real life and it was surprisingly accurate like i think with interesting 80 accuracy so i was like i'm always looking to you know like work on different projects like that like it's super interesting and like when i'm listening to you talk about this it's, it's cool to think about. So when you want to introduce a new exercise, what does that look like? Are you guys just, you start doing the exercises and then start asking your trainers to do them too. So you build a better model. Like what is that process like? Yeah, it, it's sort of like that. Now, nowadays, the new like suggestions for new exercises will come mostly from trainers um, because they're the ones who have all these crazy ideas of, of the new movements that, you know, most of the time we didn't even know existed before they brought them to our attention. Um, and for reference right now, we have about, or we just actually expanded to around 500 exercises total. So it's not a number to be scoffed at, but the trainers still amazingly find things we don't have. Um, but a trainer will suggest something. And then we will, this, the first step is sort of the groundwork where we go out and we sort of film um, example, like gifts, if you will, of what that ex exercise will look like, maybe from a few different angles. So that can be shown to the user in the app. And then for the actual data collection, it's exactly what you said, where the first step is sort of our team and our, and the trainers we work closely with, will do it a fair amount so we can get an idea. Um, and then pretty quickly we'll move on to, we actually have some like paid contractors who we just pay them to collect data for us, <laughs> like we pay them to work out essentially. Uh, and so those people will then be sort of activated and we'll bring them in and do that new exercise. And then the last stage is that exercise will actually get rolled out to a subset of the user base and those users will be doing it. And hopefully by that point, it's, it's working most of the time. And then the last stage is obviously rolling out to the entire user base. And then hopefully it's, it's pretty robust by then. But 
that entire process can, depending on the complexity of the exercise and how many different like embodiments of it there are, can sometimes take months. Um, and so we have this really long pipeline of lots of exercises that we've been, you know, working on for several weeks now. And it's always exciting when we when we get a new one out and you can just throw on the watch and do it and it, and it detects it. But you know, most people don't realize like how much how much work actually goes into getting an exercise even to that that first point. And that's why I wanted to ask you because I was like. So how does it work in terms of if I'm doing, if I'm working out and I'm using the Delta Trainer app, does the trainer put the workout that the client is doing and then it detects the movement that's within that workout that's been specified prior to working out? Or is it, okay, this is your thing and Delta Trainer's picking up, okay, he's doing sit-ups now. They're doing push-ups. Like, how, how does that work? Uh, definitely the, the former of those two. So it's, um, typically the trainer will put in all of the programming for a client and that will include, you know, like a number of reps that you're expected to do an exercise that you're expected to do probably rest time and then additional notes, um, that they want to attach to that set. And so then when you actually do a workout, you know, the app will say into your earbuds or out loud in your speaker, it will say, you know, oh, Hey, welcome to your you know, triceps and chest workout, Austin, you know, up first today is going to be, you know, 10 reps of bench press with whatever weight. And then the app will just kind of wait for you to go and do um, the next movement in that workout. Uh, and so you would, it would wait for you to go do your bench press. And then the second you finish that set of bench press, it would say, you know, either nice job or you know, maybe here's some things that you could work on with your pacing or your form. And then after your rest period, it would say, all right, next up is going to be, you know, tricep rope pushdown or whatever. And just continue walking you through the, uh, the workout like that. So in terms of improving somebody's movement pattern, so let's say that I'm benching and it suggests that, hey, like you need to, like, what does that feedback look like and how tailored is it to those movements? And kind of how long does it take to understand that, okay, this data is what a good bench press is. This is what a bad bench press is. And like how many different, in terms of an algorithm, like what what feedback, how many different types of feedback can it deliver based on a movement? Yeah, no, really, really good question. So expanding upon what we discussed earlier with the getting that exercise up to sort of launched to all users, at that point, what we do for, this is for a subset of the exercises, it will say, okay, this is an exercise that a lot of people mess up, you know, like a bench press or a squat or basically anything with a barbell is going to be a, a good candidate for that. Uh, and, and we'll go and look at it and we'll ask that exact question of like, how many different ways could you mess this up, right? <laughs> um, whether it's, let's say with a, a squat, for example, you know, your weight could be off balance to one side your weight could be too far forwards, like your knees are kind of in front of your feet. Uh, you could be not going down all the way, like doing like half or quarter squats. Um, and I'm sure I'm like, I'm sure your chest could not be, you know, facing upwards. You could be sort of bending your back downwards. Like I'm, I think there's five or six ways we have right now that you could mess up a barbell squat, for example. And so then what we do is sort of another round of data collection on top of that, where we then say, and this is almost exclusively working with the trainers and contractors because we don't really trust users to provide this data is we'll say, all right, go and do, you know, a hundred good squats. Now do a hundred squats where your weight is off to the left side and your weight is off to the right and your weight is forwards, right? Or you're only going down halfway and we'll collect, you know, ideally several thousand examples of each of those form classes, we call them. And so that way, when you, an arbitrary user, go and do a set of squats, we then have models trained that can go through and sort of classify what those squats were in respect to those form classes that we observed earlier. So it, the feedback, to answer your question directly, the feedback would be something like, you know, you were leaning too far forwards, right? You weren't going down all the way. Your weight was off to one side, right? So we can use those classes to deliver pretty specific feedback to the user. And we can also pair like tips with each form class, right? So instead of just saying you weren't going down all the way, it might be able to also say, 
you know, maybe you should decrease the weight and focus on keeping your weight on your heels or something like that. Um, but that that's more for the, the trainers to figure out really what makes the most sense there. So the trainers are essentially providing the programming and then the app even delivers the, the workout to the, their clients as well? Cor- correct. Yeah. The trainer, we, we like to say the main function of the trainer is to let you know what to do and to help you have the motivation to do it, right? And so the whole, knowing what to do is fairly simple to wrap your head around. Having the motivation to do it is a very complex thing, as, as I'm sure you know, like being in, in fitness, it's, you know, it's, it's about the accountability of a human trainer. It's about, you know, that sort of companionship that you have with that person probably. And so that's why it's really important that, you know, after workouts or even at the beginning of a day, You'll, you'll have like these touch points with your trainer where they'll be chatting back and forth. And, you know, maybe every other week you jump on a video call and like, you know, it's a very hands-on experience with the trainer. Um, but you're correct in saying that when you're actually doing the workout in the gym, it's the app is pretty much doing all of the heavy lifting, no pun intended. <laughs> so in terms of accountability, something that's helped me with going to the gym and fitness is embedding myself in whatever community I'm a part of in terms of the fitness, quote unquote fitness community. I just started doing CrossFit like one, like Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. And that is like drastically improved accountability or helped me be more accountable because everybody's, there's always some level of competition. Um, It's very measurable and I like it a lot. Have you, are any of your clients CrossFit athletes? Uh, So, Definitely a few of them are. It's definitely not a majority uh, right now, but what I will say relative to sort of the gym, you know, workout type community is that we've definitely seen that in some of the gyms that we've partnered with where, um, for example, we're partnered with this one gym in New Jersey called Chaos Fitness, and they have a very close knit community of trainers and clients and sort of a methodology that they use and they've been using for the last 10 plus years. And so when we introduced our system into their culture, it was interesting to see how the two things kind of gelled together. We're like, obviously we were providing this like infrastructure and this tech, but their culture could still kind of shine through the trainers. And so even if you're, tra- if you're training with them remotely, they try pretty hard to still make you feel like you're still part of like, you know, the chaos family, right? Um, and so I think that's kind of what you're getting at where it's like, you're part of this, like, you know, this, this culture and this, this group of people. And it's, de- we're de- we definitely see that happening, uh, even remotely. Yeah. Cause it's been super hard because I have a lot of friends in the fitness industry that are either trainers or own their own gyms. You kind of keeping that community with the pandemic and the whole COVID situation going on right now. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about what, that what the future of a fitness is going to look like or what the future CrossFit gym is going to look like because it's very hard to build that community outside of a like physical location. So I'm curious to ask, what do you think the, the future of fitness is going to be like? Because it, it can go a lot of, in a lot of different ways and a lot of people are trying a bunch of different things. Yeah, no, that's, that's a question I think about pretty much every day. And I think if I were to sum it up, I would say fitness is going to go from what I like to call a, a broadcast model, which is what I'd say we're very prevalently attached to right now, where it's, you know, maybe one trainer, like in Peloton's case, one trainer broadcasting to 30 people or 30,000 people <laughs> rather, um, to more of a uh, feedback model. It's like what we, we like to say, where, you know, instead of it being about broadcasting content to many, it's about acting on what's actually going on in the user's body, right? Um, and we, we see this happen in fitness in person now, um, as, much as, as much as gyms and trainers can make it happen, where we're like, you know, we're watching clients, we're seeing what works, we're seeing what doesn't. But as fitness becomes more and more high tech, and as it has become more high tech over the last five years, we've really seen it drift away from, you know, feedback and true personalization. Like, I mean, the word personalization drives me crazy because every fitness tech company out there 
will tell you that their programming and that their training and whatever is personalized, but it's extremely hard to actually be personalized if you don't know what the hell's going on when the user's actually doing the workouts, right? And so that's where we see the future moving and whether it be through, you know, a wearable system like ours or a computer vision-based system, like some of the stuff that like Mirror and Tempo is working on, like we think that is really going to be the next level of digitized fitness where it's not just about you get the celebrity trainer in your living room. It's like you get you get the content of the celebrity trainer, but you also get the same effect as if that celebrity trainer was actually standing there right next to you, coaching you through those movements and coaching you through the entire program. And that is just, I mean, just even just saying it out loud, it's obvious that that is exponentially more of a powerful experience than just watching a fitness class on your TV. Yeah, I love the way you put that, like differentiating between like broadcasting and feedback. And a lot of companies, Peloton included, and other programming, you know, fitness apps, they give you the program. They even might give you statistics based on, you know, how how you were cycling or how you were running. Like I use the Nike Run Club app all the time because I'm training yep. for a marathon right now. And it oh. get it gives me feedback, but I think it's that next level of feedback. So that's really interesting. So if I'm running and I go on a run, like and I come back and you know I have my pace, I have how far I went, basic metrics that Strava does and you know any any run app does. But the next thing is, hey, you know your your cadence was this. You can improve your cadence by doing this, this, and this. Here's somebody that can help you with that. Here's an additional program to help you improve your cadence. Or saying exactly. this is this is what you're like you're you spent X amount of time in um heart rate zone three. This was a this workout. Your goal is to be in this zone. So we're gonna give you this, this, and this to do so that you can we can better put you in a place so you can train and follow this program more effectively. Yeah, no, that's that's a perfect example of, of exactly what I'm talking about. Like we we learned firsthand when we started this company that like I, I like to say we started this company as a tracking company where like I said, all we were really doing was just reporting back like you did this many reps of this exercise, right? Um, we started as a tra- tra- uh, tracking company and what we became through you know listening to our users and where the value really was, was a training company um, because training is way, way, way more valuable than tracking. And I think like, like exactly like you said, the, you know, the Fitbits and the running apps and the Stravas of the world are beginning to realize that um, and that that is really what you can monetize in fitness is you know, expertise and feedback, not so much random numbers that you can stare at every day. Yeah, and it's so hard to do that. Like true feedback one-to-one is it's very difficult to scale. But if you can nail oh, yeah. it, yeah. it's so difficult to scale. And a lot of people, like tra- that's why it's so difficult to be a personal trainer right now because it's you can't have a million clients. Like your time is valuable. You want to provide that specific feedback. It's so much easier to just go on Instagram Live and do a, a workout, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's that's that's a really good point. Is that's something that we deal with a lot, and especially with these trainers we've been talking to during this whole virus, is that they're sort of resorting to these very broadcasty models, right? Like, like exactly like you said, you know, you jump on Instagram Live, you set up like a premium Zoom call or something, and it's like, well, yes, that's still getting your content out there, but that's not training, right? Like, you're just you're just a, a content provider at that point. You're just basically kind of an influencer of sorts and a micro influencer. And like, that's not really what training is all about. It's not about selling the hundred dollar PDF program, right? It's actually about being there with someone and having that connection with someone. And so like, I mean, getting to a million clients <laughs> maybe won't happen, but we've gotten trainers up to hundreds of clients. Um, whereas in person they were training, you know, 20, right? Uh, and so it's it's orders of magnitude bigger impact. And that's something we really, really look for in the trainers that we work with. So has there ever been any conflict with a client with maybe they, they're doing like a bench press or they're benching and 
they think that they're doing the movement right, but the model is telling them, no, like you need, you could do this. And they think that they're right. Oh yeah. I mean, I would be, I would be the biggest liar ever if I told you that the tech was always right. Um, in, in classic tech startup fashion, like, you know, the tech is always, we're always working on making it better. And so it really varies on the exercise. Um, you know, to give an example of an exercise that we're really good at, I would say like most, you know, dumbbell exercises, you know, your dumbbell bench press, your dumbbell curls, your lateral raises, like we really nailed all those. Um, there's some exercises that are just inherently really, really hard when you're only going based on a single sensor on the wrist. Like for example, a body weight lunge is one that's given us so much trouble um, because you would be amazed at all the different ways that people can do a lunge. Um, not necessarily the different ways that their legs can go through a lunge, but all the different positions that their hands can be in. Um, and so, you know, we'll have, we'll have users, you know, we have them rate like the app satisfaction, all that after every workout. And, you know, it's a normal occurrence for a user to be like, oh, you know, something <laughs> seemed a little off with the tracking when I was doing my lunges. And we'll say, you know, and a lot of times we'll just reach out to the user and say like, yeah, you know, like we want to make this right. Like, can you show us like an example or send us a quick video of what your lunge looked like? And man, some of the videos that we've gotten back for what these people are doing for the forms on these exercises is absolutely hilarious. You know, they're kinda, <laughs> for lack of a better word, they're like flailing their arms around while they're doing a lunge. And then they call us and say, why didn't it track my lunge? And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the consumer and the client isn't thinking about it from a tech perspective, obviously, right? They're not, they think I put this Apple watch on, everything tracks perfectly now, right? Um, they can, they can track my whole body now. In reality, it's, we can track your wrist kind of <laughs> is the data we're getting. Um, and it's, uh, and it's up to us to figure out what is really going on. So that's my long winded answer for, you know, it's, it's an imperfect system, but we're always striving for, you know, we, we always try to limit the specificity of the information to the client and maximize it to the trainer. And so what I mean by that is, you know, the client might get a, you know, your set was pretty good. Whereas the trainer might get a pacing on reps five and six seemed faster than the rest of the set. Cause like, you know, a client probably doesn't want to see that. And if you tell a client that like wrongingly, then the client will probably be like upset and be like, no, my pacing was consistent or whatever. But the trainer will always want that information, always want that to at least consider when they're making decisions. And so, you know, we, we try to sort of have that, you know, difference between what we present to the client and the trainer. And that helps to mitigate the effects of, you know, oh, this rep was off. Right. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Dude, I'm just thinking of like some meathead guy in the gym using this app and just getting so mad like with oh like uh i'm not doing the bench right blah 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 like oh it would be, it would be so funny but <laughs> yeah so how did you settle on the apple watch and like do you have like i think you mentioned before that you used other wearables like to to start off is that right yeah so i mean a, a quick background on myself is I've always been a very, you know, I like to build stuff with my hands, build electronics kind of guy. And so going into this, my first instinct back in that junior year of college was I'm going to build a wearable, right? Like we can build a wearable that's sort of specialized to this task. You know, it will be cheaper than an Apple watch and it will have more sensors than an Apple watch was kind of like the pipe dream at the time. And so for the first six months of our existence, my main job was building this wearable device. And <laughs> I, can, I can send over some pictures of the thing looked like, I mean, no one would buy this thing. <laughs> it, was a, it was a hackathon project with a bit of polish on it is how I would summarize the, the hardware. But that's how we started out. And we were, you know, we would strap these things to our wrists and we would go to the gym and we'd have, you know, wires hanging off of us and all this other garbage and Eventually, it took one of our, you know, best uh, mentors at the time, and now currently an investor, uh, Matt Rogers. And I was I was sitting down with him for for coffee for one of the first times, and for lack of a better word, he basically like slapped me in the face and said, "Matt, why are you building this on your own hardware? Just use one of these awesome devices that's already out there, also known as the Apple Watch, that you know, <laughs> approximately." I think like I think 15% of Americans own an Apple Watch right now, which is really good. That's crazy. Um, and, yeah, and so 
so that answers your Apple Watch question of why I go for the Apple Watch. Like, I think it, it actually has an order of magnitude greater market penetration than any other single wearable device out there. Um, sorry, any other smartwatch out there. Um, and we, we haven't sort of touched the lower end devices yet, mostly because of a very technical reason. They don't have gyroscopes, which is a very important part of, of analyzing the motion. That being said, we, um, we are very interested and we've sort of done some groundwork to move in the direction of adding support for the Android side of the smartwatch spectrum. So you got like, you know, the Samsung Galaxies, you've got uh, the Garmin Vivo Active, I believe is the one we were looking at. Um, and so there's definitely, it's on the roadmap to get the Android support there. It's just the market penetration is so much lower. It just doesn't make sense for us to do it uh, right off the bat. So what's your target market? right now? I mean, it's obviously um, Apple Watch users or Apple users, but then what kind of fitness trainers and clients are you looking for? Yeah, really good question. So on the trainer side of things, we're definitely looking for, as I mentioned earlier, trainers who want to expand their impact, right? Like, we, we want to look for trainers who aren't completely content with just training those 20 clients for the rest of their life, right? And trainers who are willing to embrace sort of this future of remote and in-person or uh, remote and this, this feedback model of training. And so that can take a lot of different forms. Some of the trainers we see are more like, you know, influencer types where they've, you know, been trying to kind of branch into the, the broadcast model and we can kind of introduce the whole feedback side of things to them and get them, you know, doing that instead. Some of the trainers are trainers who are traditionally in person and they've sort of been in the back of their minds knowing, you know, maybe I should be doing remote, but nothing just seemed quite right. Like we hear a lot like, you know, I didn't just want to be the trainer who sent email programs to people. or I didn't just want to be the trainer who, you know, used a, an, a, a you know, cookie cutter app from True Coach or something, like I wanted to actually be there for my clients, even though I couldn't be there. Um, and so we've gotten several trainers who, who fit that persona as well. As far as end users go, like, honestly, it depends a lot on the brand of the individual trainer. Um, so when we're going for end users directly under the Delta Trainer brand, a lot of times we like to summarize it as like busy professional, right? You know, like they, they, have, an, they have an iPhone, like they want to get a good workout plan in, but they don't want to commit to, you know, in-person training twice or three times a week. And they're looking for a flexible, you know, budget-friendly option, right? Um, and so those are kind of the two core demographics for, for the trainers and, and the end users. So before we talked about personalized feedback in terms of the exercise, but have you thought about enabling trainers to give their own personalized feedback? So if they think that they have certain expertise in, let's say, powerlifting, so they, they're masters of the deadlift, the bench, and the squat, like giving specific cues to their clients and analyzing the data of their specific cues and essentially I mean, maybe giving them a dashboard that say, for their clients saying, okay, you know, subject A, their their bench is, their, their arms aren't even, or they're, they're leaning to the left on their squat and kind of giving them those analytics that are kind of crucial, like definitely crucial if you're training remote. Is that something that's in the pipeline or something you guys have thought about? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of one of those features where like, if I had all the time and the data in the world, I would love <laughs> to give every trainer like a personalized set of models. Like, my answer today to that would be, we like, I've been talking about like the most flashy high level data for most of this, but there's also a lot of very nitty gritty, useful data to the trainers who know how to read it. Uh, for example, we have, you know, velocity over time, power over time you know, mean rep velocity, peak rep velocity, right? Like those, those kinds of things, an experienced example, powerlifting trainer can look at and like th they will know going into it, like, oh, I want to hit this many meters per second on my third squat, right? <laughs> and like, I, I would never train like that, but these powerlifters train like that every single day. And so they can actually just open up the existing dashboard in, in the exact way it is today 
and they can just look at the power, the peak powers and the peak velocities for the reps of, you know, whatever deadlifts performed. And they can make those inferences themselves. Obviously the dream is someday, like the system will have the combined knowledge of all of those, you know, expert trainers and be able to spit out, like, this was a non-ideal, you know, peak velocity on the third and fourth (laughs) rep. Um, But nowadays it's like, you know, the trainers almost prefer to do that themselves because that's, that's where their expertise is. And that's what they're, what they actually enjoy doing is really, really fine tuning those programs. I have a bunch of friends that are big powerlifters and they're the guys that talk to me about those like crazy analytics. And I'm like, where, like, where are you like pulling those from? And like, I I just graduated from Rutgers and we had a pretty competitive powerlifting team and they, they were very possessive of their, their space in like the Rutgers gym, but they were all, they all had like spreadsheets and they were tracking literally everything. So I could imagine they would definitely love something like this. Oh yeah. That, back when we were really focused on tracking, like powerlifting was where we were going to start because we knew that those people cared the most about the tracked metrics, but you know, it's, they, they also care the most about getting trained with those tracked metrics. And so they've, they've been a consistent presence uh, in our user base as people who are, you know, they're going for strength. They're trying to optimize. Um, but, you know, over time it's definitely gotten more skewed towards, I'd say like your, your casual gym goer who's looking for like that sort of fundamental programming and fundamental motivation. Um, mostly just because that's where most of the market is in fitness, but um, like the system is more than capable of serving sort of those more niche uh, training fields. So what happens when you have a movement, like you said, the, like a, a lunge that it's very difficult to pick up on a completed rep like what's the what's the solution for that? Oh man, it's it's a lot of things. Like there's so the high level solution is always like you know add more data. Um, if the model has like if if we had data of every single possible way that someone could do a bodyweight lunge, um, and then all of that data was getting fed into the model, then you know we'd be pretty confident that the model would detect um, the the sets and the reps correctly. To mitigate those effects um, before we have that nearly infinite amount of data, we do a lot of shortcuts, uh, and I won't, I won't bore you with the details. But essentially, we you know we can go in and look at where we think you know reps might have occurred, or where based on the rest of the set, or based on historical sets, like where do we think you know reps or sets have occurred? You know, we can double check the model's work with more you know old school methods of like you know. Were they actually moving about the right amount overall for a, a lunge right now? You know, like there's a lots of like, you know, additional checks that we layer on to make sure that it doesn't spit out, you know, for example, you walking around and drinking out of your water bottle as a lunge or the opposite case where you do a weird set of lunges and it just doesn't detect anything. Um, and then the absolute last case fallback is if it doesn't detect your set or it detects a set falsely, there are manual controls on the watch that allow you to basically step backwards or step forwards uh, in the workout and sort of manually uh, skip that set. In which case that data will actually be flagged as like a mistake. And so then we can go back and look at it specifically and really try to figure out what happened there. So who do you think your biggest, like who are your biggest competitors in the space right now? Right. So I would kind of split them into two categories. Like there's a bunch of pretty cool players on the remote training, like platforms and tools space. Um, So like there, we look really closely at future.fit because they're definitely sort of leading the way for like this really high end polished model of remote training. Um, But they don't really have much or really any cutting edge tech. They just have really polished stuff, which is great. Um, you also have companies like True Coach, Trainerize, My PT Hub. Um, they all provide sort of these um, blankets of features for enabling trainers to do like very basic uh, online training. So like they let you build programs and send them to users, and that's about it. And like the amount of feedback they provide is normally limited to, uh, and, and maybe not even this, but you know, heart rate data coming back from you know a chest strap or something. Um, so still very much broadcast model. So 
but they, they all definitely have good features on the training side. And so I definitely look at all of those as competitors on training tools and training platforms. But then the ones that we're really, really interested in is like, is anyone else actually doing this level of motion analysis, right? Like that is like at our core, we are a tech company. That is our differentiation. That's what our patents are on. Um, so like, that's where we focus the most. And fortunately for us, like there's been some attempts in the past of companies that have tried to build, you know, rep counting machines like Atlas wearables, focus motion, Gematic. Um, for the most part, all of them are pretty, uh, dead, uh, whether it's because of a lack of traction or a lack of funding or, uh, problems with the technology. And so currently like the only app that's really out there that's still counting reps is Gematic, which is a, an iOS app and they don't perform, they don't, they count the reps, but they don't do any of the additional analysis on, you know, how hard were those reps for you? Uh, how, you know, which one of these categories did your form fall into, right? How is your pacing? How is your, it's very like baseline, like you did a set check, right? <laughs> um, so we're, we, we like to think, and we know that we are positioned in this really unique spot where we have all of the platform infrastructure of a future or of a true coach or of a trainerized to, to actually deliver the training. But then we also have, I would say, the best uh, wearable motion tracking tech out there right now. And we're obviously in the unique position then of being able to put those two things together. And really, our focus is really just on leading this charge into this whole new world of feedback uh, in, in the fitness ecosystem. Have you ever heard of Wadproof? Wadproof. No, I'm guessing it's a CrossFit app. <laughs> so it's a, it's a CrossFit app that the CrossFit community has used recently to kind of like, qual- like record yourself doing qualifier workouts for competitions. Mm, right. So video based, right? Video based. So something that is really cool and something that's needed in the CrossFit space is a way to effectively track reps. And it's really hard because some CrossFit movements are kind of wacky. Like we're doing like handstand (laughs) pushups. I was doing handstand walks earlier today. And it's hard to do. But in terms of if the future of CrossFit is going to be through these online qualifiers – I think that that would be like that would be super cool. That's something that's definitely needed. So that's interesting. But what anyway? Going back to Wadproof, um, they have a band. I'm not sure what it. I've never seen one or used one, but they have a Wadproof band that counts your reps, and that's what when I when I first saw Delta Trainer, I was like, oh, this is similar to Wadproof. I was wondering if you've ever heard of it before. I think I'm, I'm trying to remember there is, so there was a whole slew of rep counting things out there that were all based on focus motions technology, which was one of those companies I mentioned where at one point focus motion had their whole business model actually was just doing an API that allowed people to plug into it and then use the phone or whatever to count repetitions uh, was like the basically the main function of that, that whole system. Mm-hmm. And so I know that they did work with several CrossFit companies. I know they worked with Equinox briefly um, to try to do some like rep counting stuff for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was them uh, behind the scenes in that app as well, um, because they're one of the only motion analysis players that we know of that sort of went for that like API route where they tried to like give their rep counting tech to like other apps and companies. Um, but no, it's definitely something I can look into some more. I haven't, we haven't looked into like CrossFit specific apps very much, to be honest. We've been mostly focused on that sort of like general consumer fitness, but definitely good to know about. Dude, the CrossFit community would eat this up because I'm, I'm very technical and like very data driven. So have you ever heard of like the CrossFit open? Yep. So Every year during the open, I record my workouts and go into Excel and break down the like timestamp when I complete certain movements. For example, if I'm doing a 20-minute AMRAP workout with five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and 15 air squats, I'll 
time myself every round and see, okay, the first round I completed that in 45 seconds. In the 20th round, however, it took me a minute and 15 seconds. So kind of that data is super, super, super actionable. And a lot of the CrossFit level programming, since it's very diversified, like you have your endurance, you have your gymnastics movements, you have weightlifting. There's so much opportunity there. And that's something that like I want. I'm like, I'm like, I need, I need Delta trainer to do this. Like, it would be so cool to be able to do that because I'm, everybody's making fun of me for like breaking down and doing this analysis, but analysis, but everyone's doing it. Like everybody wants that little competitive edge. And if they can know, okay, like if I did this workout and I started, my first round was 45 seconds. My last one was 115. If I can just average a minute around by doing these movements and I didn't have to waste, you know, 45 minutes to an hour trying to figure all this stuff out like that would that would be awesome yeah for sure yeah i mean i think we definitely have some clients who do crossfit through this the delta trainer system already and it's it's interesting to see sort of like the differences in workout structures and like goals and stuff like you said it's very like you know rep timing oriented and so yeah i mean like the groundwork is all there in our system and like we try to make it as flexible as possible on the trainer side where you could, you know, using the same tool, you can put together a, a powerlifting workout or you can put together a CrossFit workout and it would still be able to, you know, track your sets, give you that feedback. And, you know, the timing for you sounds like it would be really, really cool. And like, we, we basically, I mean, we know exactly when your set starts and your set ends. And so, you know, we keep track of your rest time and we keep track of your average recovery rate of your heart and all that stuff during your rest time. And so I think you would, you would definitely nerd out all over that stuff. So it sounds cool. Hell yeah. If you if you ever want or you need some uh someone to do CrossFit movements or you're looking oh to, dude let's get you signed up like definitely we always we always need more people <laughs> yeah man I I'd love to do, you know just work out and help you out that'd be cool for sure so you started Delta Trainer your junior year how has it grown and what does that process looked like I mean. I, I always like to hear like the the beginning story and like how how companies have grown over time and like how the the founders have grown and how the tech has grown. So can you just talk to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess to address each one of those things specifically. So like logistically, we like I was in my junior year at Carnegie Mellon. Gabe was in his junior year at MIT. At the time like, and this was at the very beginning of our junior year. So like fall semester. And at the time, both of us were sort of, we had, we had no intentions in our mind of like, you know, making this a priority, like over school or like dropping out or anything. Like, I think it was still both just like a really, it was a very serious project for both of us, but we still were like, we're students. Like, you know, that is, that is our, you know, we have an obligation to doing all of our student stuff. And that remained true, I would say, for like that first six months. And then going into the spring semester, which is also when we started sort of ex- uh, changing from building hardware to going onto wearable platforms like the Apple Watch, it really, we really started like, you know, looking at each other and being like, wait a second, like we're getting some actual, you know, interest from some actual, you know, investors and very, very cool advisors in the CMU and MIT network like maybe we should actually like really, you know, like take this super seriously. Uh, and so that there was never like a single moment where we were like, all right, this is, this is it. This is what we're going to do. This is it. You know, but um, it just happened gradually over that. I would say that first like semester and a half. And then come the springtime, we went into this mode of, you know, I don't think we're quite ready to like, you know, raise money or anything, but let's sort of practice pitching this whole thing and go around and do some business competitions. And so during that spring, we, you know, did the CMU graduate level competition, um, even though we were undergrads and we won that one. We did an MIT competition and we got to like the semifinals of that one. We went to the what was it? The rice business competition, which is a really big one down in Texas. Um, And we got, I think it was ninth place there out of 400 teams, which is really cool. Uh, And so like, we got all of this, like, 
like in hindsight, I would definitely tell any aspiring entrepreneur, like don't obsess about competitions nearly as much as we did, (laughs) but you know, like it's like the student mindset, right? Like as a student, you're still thinking like, oh yeah, you know, I've been doing these competitions and it's all about, you know, like what place do you get and the judges and the scoring and like, it took our focus. So in hindsight, it took our focus away from a lot of the stuff that's actually really important, like, you know, initial traction and validation and, and all that stuff. And we were really just, but we, but the, the benefit of this was we got really, really good at pitching what our vision was for this company. And so, and we also got accepted into a Carnegie Mellon accelerator program that took us out to Silicon Valley, gave us some initial investment money for the summer. Um, and so that summer was when we raised our first actual uh, VC money from uh, a previous mentor becoming investor, Matt Rogers, uh, who's a CMU alum who founded Nest Labs, which builds like the thermostats. They sold it to Google for like $3.2 billion. And so uh, he knows his way around tech. And before that, he was at Apple. And so he was like a really good fit for this. So he came on board that summer. And then that summer was just like the summer of like actually grinding it out and finally getting a product into paying users' hands. Because up until that point, it had all been like all this data collection, all of this beta testing and all of this, you know, like hardware nonsense, right? And it, it wasn't until that summer, which was about one year after the initial idea was uh, conceived that we actually had something that we could put into people's hands. Then coming out of that summer, it was all about like, all right, we have this product, let's sell it. Um, and so sort of in parallel, Gabe was really aggressively pushing forward all the technology I was becoming less and less about building product and more and more about um, trying to get more and more users on the platform. We, we started like hiring some external people. We hired like a bunch of interns to help with product development. We hired trainers for the first time to come on and start, you know, working with all these clients we were starting to onboard. And that's just been kind of the, that's the path we've continued to follow. Um, fast forward to spring of 20 or January of this year, we uh, raised another good chunk of money for what we're officially calling our pre-seed round. Um, and we have brought on another person to help with business development and, or, you know, just kind of, you know, the usual startup, early stage growth stuff. Um, got an, our office is set up in our apartment right now <laughs> because of COVID, <laughs> but we'll be moving into an office once things kind of go back to normal. And so it's, you know, it's, it's starting to get off the ground, you know, users and trainers and traction has been growing really, really well for us in the last three months. Um, and so we're just kind of trying to ride that wave and, you know, get somewhere, get somewhere good in the next year. Well, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. So what advice would you give to somebody who has an idea that's kind of hesitant and maybe they're working on it a little bit, but they don't know what that next step should be like that's a tough one i think like it's all about it's a combination of confidence and surrounding yourself with very smart helpful nice people that's that was the magic mix here for us where you know like we even though we didn't really know how exactly we would build it or what exactly we were building we were, we just had this natural confidence about us that we, we knew we were going to build a super cool fitness technology and it was going to be awesome. And it was going to make people's workouts better. And like, that was like at our core of what we were doing. And we used that confidence to sort of go through all of these different renditions, right? Like I see, I see so many entrepreneurs, especially student entrepreneurs where like when they hit that first sort of stumbling block, they just sort of say like, well, that was a failure. And they sort of use it as a, an escape to then not go and figure out what was the real cause of the failure and just say like, all right, that was a failure. I did a startup check. Right. Uh, and so what, what, like that would be like, if we had gotten to the point where I sat down with Matt Rogers and he said like, you guys can't build this on hardware. Like no one's going to fund that. You guys don't know how to build hardware, like just build it on the Apple watch. And if at that point we just said like, well, it was a nice, you know, run for the last seven months, but no one wants this hardware. So let's just call it a day and go work for Google. Right. Um, I see, like, I I say that in like a really like mean way, but I see that happen so much 
especially with like our friends at MIT and Carnegie Mellon, where like they have some unique kernel of an idea, but they don't have the right mindset or the right confidence or whatever to actually foster it into and to really just withstand all of the 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 troubles and tribulations of of going through that pivoting process and that finding your value process, uh, you just gotta you gotta just stick with it <laughs> to be uh, to be cliche about it. And then as far as the advisors go, like I'm sure every you know university is like this, where you know there's some kind of business program, there's some kind of entrepreneurship program. Hopefully, just like get to know the people in those programs and become their friends, right? Like I became, I would say, very close friends with like all the people who taught entrepreneurship classes, all of the local successful CMU entrepreneurs. And so like when one of these big company shaking events would happen, which happens way too much <laughs> in your first year, um, I could just call all those people and, you know, they would all say a slightly different thing. But if I could take all of those pieces of advice and average them together, it was really good at keeping us moving forward. Like, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in, in like the trenches and what you're doing and all the problems you're facing on a day to day. But those smart advisor people are really, really good at sort of looking at it from afar and saying, all right, here's here's what you need to do. Like you need to just, you know, focus on these two things, keep moving in this direction and the rest will figure itself out. And you say like, well, man, when he says that it sounds so obvious, why are <laughs> we doing that? But, um, you know, it's really just the process of doing that over and over and over and over again. And we still do that today. So it, it never stops. So I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. You've done a bunch of projects in the past and worked on a bunch of different things. How did how have you yep. persevered <laughs> over the years when things don't work out? Yeah, I mean, so like I said, I'm always one to like build stuff. And so when even at the first one was like in my senior year of high school, I had this, I had to do, I think it was like an AP chemistry project or something. And as my friends would say, like in classic Mass Patel fashion, instead of just doing the goddamn chemistry project, I decided to build a machine that did chemistry for me. Um, <laughs> and so I built like a, a pumping system that measured out chemicals and did dilutions and, and stuff. Um, and there was just one comment that I think like one of the teachers I really respected made that he said something like, oh, I, you know, wait, like, so you're telling me that you got this accuracy for this little price? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just a project. And he was like, people would buy this. And I, that has always stuck in my head as like the first time where I sort of realized like, wait a second, like, you mean all these random things that I built, like people would actually buy maybe. Um, and, and so that was, that kind of set me on this spiraling path of, I mean, as you can see from my, my LinkedIn or whatever, like, you know, I took that project and worked on it for two years and sold it to chemistry labs and chemistry teachers. And I wouldn't say it was like a high tech startup company, but it was a company nonetheless. And we sold pumping systems. And then, you know, eventually for me, it ended up being that I realized that I was not passionate about selling pumping systems. That even though the original idea for the company was from uh, like, a pain point that I had in my life, which was I hated doing chemistry labs. It was not something that I wanted to like dedicate my life to building and helping other people with. It was just like, you know, I, I, and so that was an important learning experience for me. And so I wouldn't say that was like something I really had to like fight through or overcome. It was a very natural sort of, you know, self-discovery moment of, you know, whatever I work on needs to be important for me. And it was a very similar case with the second company or whatever you want to call it that I did called Inventower, where my pain point was it was really hard to organize all of my, you know, like electronic stuff and all of my hobby making stuff, like the maker movement stuff. And um, I wanted to build a system that would let me organize all of that. And so me and a few of my friends built a product that you could install into your, you know, organization drawers or whatever that would automatically find all of these parts for you and help you do stuff. Um, and so it was very much more in line with um, like what something I actually really cared about. Um, but I learned the other painful lesson, which is sometimes the things that you care about and the problems that you really care about are such small markets and such niche problems that it's not really worth solving them on like a company, especially like a VC backed tech company scale. And so that was my lesson there was like, wait, like, 
So I need to find something I care about. And I need to find something that a lot of other people care about. (laughs) And I need to find something in that intersection that nobody else has done before. Right. And so I feel like this is where a lot of, you know, wantful entrepreneurs and I sat around in this mental space for many, many months, just sort of thinking like, how the hell can I find something that overlaps all these, you know, requirements basically to be a successful company. And at the end of the day, the idea for Delta Band literally just kind of came out of nowhere. Like it wasn't some like big architectured, like here's all these, you know, trends and here's all these markets and here's all my passions and where do they overlap? It was just sort of like, Oh, what if we tracked reps with, with watch, you know, like, <laughs> and then it, it kind of grew from there. Um, and so it's like, you got to learn those lessons somewhere, but you can't like force it, right? Like you can't, you can't force any one of those ideas to be like, quote unquote, the perfect idea or the good enough idea. Um, it just, you know, I just, even if this idea failed, I would just go right on to the next one and just keep building shit. And that's just part of, part of who I am. And so I think that's important is like, you know, no matter how many things you make, it's always about, it's not about like, where it was that thing successful? Like, did it have an exit? Did it have this much revenue? Right. It's about like, did you build a cool thing? And are you proud of it? Right. Is always what I think about. And like, I obviously, as you can tell, I still love telling the stories of, you know, the things that I built in the past, even though they were not successful at all by company or business standards, um, but they were still really cool things. Right. And so um, you gotta, you gotta hold on to those and keep them for what they, for what they are. I love the way you put that because it's so easy to get caught in the weeds. If you have that entrepreneurial mindset, like you can't, can't stand still. You're always thinking about different ideas. You're thinking about ways to build things and do your research. The third, the first thing that everybody says to do is like, okay, you need your mission. You need your vision. You need, you need to solve a problem. You need to find a solution. Yep. You need your target market. And then by the time that you have all of this shit figured out, you don't even know what you're building and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you like, or you don't give two shits about it. You're like, all right, now we're building a, you know, chair company or something. It's like, what? Like, you know, maybe there's a market need for that, but that's not for me. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's in, in all my like education and entrepreneur, like formal education and entrepreneurship, like they always, and I'm sure you had a similar thing um, in whatever programs you did. It's like, they're always teaching you about all those things that you need to sort of like always keep in mind and like line up and you got to do your customer research and validate this and do that and size the market and do the competitive analysis. And like, you know, like, yes, all those things are true, but there's absolutely no way in hell that even the best entrepreneur can do all those things on a piece of paper without going out into the real world. Right. And so I'm a really, really big fan of like, you know, people say like, don't build something before you know people want it. But like, if building something takes like a few days or a week, build something, throw it out there and you'll learn a hundred times more than the person who just sits and, you know, Google's on the internet. Like, do people want a watch that counts your reps? Like, no, instead just build like a, you know, a fake experience where you put a watch on someone and you trick them into thinking it counts their reps and you get their reaction. Right. And it's like, if they said, Holy shit, that was the most amazing workout I've ever had. It's like, all right, there we go. (laughs) That's some good validation. Right. Um, And so like, you got to do stuff like that. And it's, it's all about being, you know, hacky and just like not wasting time on all of that, like traditional business bullshit for lack of a better word. uh, And just like getting something out there and learning from it. I love that. So what do you think it means to be gritty and curious? Well, I mean, gritty has to tie into the like, you know, just go fucking do it, like get it out there and, you know, don't, don't give up when, when the course changes a bit. Um, And then curious is about always being really introspective about the problems you have in your own life, because that's always where my ideas and my most passionate projects have come from where it's, you know, if you're always curious about, no, there has to be a better way to, to log your reps. Like there has to be a better way to do chemistry. There has to be a better way to look for something, right? And I've had hundreds of other ideas that I probably don't even remember. Um, but if you're always curious about like, there has to be a better way, um, you'll eventually at least get some really good starting points um, for, for entrepreneurial ideas. And so if you can combine a starting point with a grind and the grit, um, then you, you've got 
you know, 99% of what you need to be an entrepreneur. So Matt, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, let's see, probably via email or just, um, connect with me on LinkedIn. So email is just Matt at Delta trainer fit. Um, and if it's easier, you can just hit me up on LinkedIn to be able to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. No, thank you, man. And, uh, look forward to being in touch. We'll get you uh, doing some reps for us. That'd be awesome. This has been the Gritty and Curious Show, where we interview the world's smartest creators, self-starters, and entrepreneurs. If you're looking to start something, we want to help. Visit grittyandcurious.com for details. If you enjoyed this show, you'd be the best if you subscribed, left a rating, and wrote a quick review. By doing this, you let us know that you're listening and inspires us to keep creating. Until next time, stay gritty and curious.